If you are a long time listener to the Happier at Work podcast, you will have heard me speak previously about my signature Happier at Work program. The program has now moved beyond the pilot phase and it's for organisations who want to maintain a really great culture that they already have. They know that their staff are really, really important and they want to retain staff for as long as possible and drive a sense of better engagement at work. Overall, ultimately, what the programme does is create a happier working environment using research-backed methods. What that means is we look at the current state of play, what needs to change, and then we measure the effectiveness of that change during the programme and also when the programme finishes. The programme itself is very practical and it is designed with coaching as well in order to embed the learning into the organisation. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. And talk to a leader about creating that level of awareness and a team join up to supporting each other in these activities. Suddenly you can see the pound side. <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, we, there is a way to do more with less. Hello and welcome back to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted you decided to tune in today. My guest today is Leslie Cooper and we cover a range of topics in relation to well-being at work. We talk about things like pressure and stress at work and how, you know, positive stress can turn into strain. We talk about psychological safety. We talk about the external and internal drivers. We talk about emotional impacts as well and how we can get uh, a little bit irritable sometimes at work when things become too much for us. We also talk about things like prioritisation and when there's too, just simply too much work to do and where does the performance actually come from. So lots and lots to unpack in today's episode. I really, really hope you enjoy it. As always, I will be doing a synopsis at the end and I would love for you to reach out and get involved in the conversation, reply on social media, reach out directly to me through the website happieratwork.ie and I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Welcome, Leslie, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so pleased to have you as my guest today. Do you want to introduce yourself to listeners, give a bit of a flavour of your background and how you got to doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, okay, so I'm Leslie Cooper. Um, I run a company called Working Well, which has been doing um, work in the well-being and performance space since, I'm frightened to say, mid-80s probably. So, you know, getting on for 30 years. Um, and, and my background the business background for all of us really was in um, private healthcare initially, um, working for the at that time the, the UK's leading private healthcare company, who were surprisingly for the healthcare company really focused very much on sickness at that time. So there's a lot of focus on trying to put a proposition together for the market that would help companies get a little bit more proactive rather than just kind of treating people when they became unwell, but to understand a little bit about what we might be able to do upstream of that. Um, and by a rather convoluted route, we finished up perhaps, you know, coming at it from a position of trying to manage sickness absence to understanding what is it actually that makes people stay away from work? You know, that these are 
it's, the word malingering was was used a lot in the late eighties that people didn't come to work because they were malingering. Um, the reality of it is that people don't come to work for a variety of different reasons, but a lot of them are what we would now understand to be psychosocial. You know, they're not happy. <laughs> There's something going on in the workplace, some toxicity there that um, gets in the way of the normal behaviour, which is to attend. You know, we are as a species where we're mission driven. We, we like having things to do. We need the lights. You know, we need a certain amount of stimulation and engagement to, to function. So when people don't go to work, there's a lots and lots of reasons why that, why that might, 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 that might in fact be, you know, what might be getting in the way of them wanting to attend. So um, I eventually, after the birth of my second child, left um, corporate land uh, and started to do work as a consultant in this space. And, and, and you know, 25, 30 years later, the penny has dropped. <laughs> People understand the relationship between employee well-being, attendance and performance. And, you know, being also not just like being in the chair, but being fully present and engaged and just, you know, how that is a, a win-win. You know, when, when people love their job, they're fully engaged, they're fully present, um, they're creative, they're enthusiastic, they're excited about their work, they're happy. Um, when 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 they're not, they're not. <laughs> Something yeah. quite different is going on, yeah. um, and that is the case for many people. You can see that in the stress statistics uh, yeah. now. Yeah. And what are the statistics? What like, what are the sort of numbers you're talking about in relation to stress and and people who maybe are not that that very much engaged at work? Well, uh, the numbers. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers in terms of direct cost of sickness substance are huge. I mean, in the billions. Um, I, I think what's happened with sickness substance though is that people don't go off sick. They they are they go, you know, they're they're present at work, um, you know, physically present at work. Um, but they're not necessarily um they're not necessarily contributing in the way that they might otherwise be if if the toxicity that they're struggling with or whatever else is going on culturally in their workplace was different. So they're there, they're in the chair. Mm. Um, presenteeism, as it was called then, is, is is still a thing. But I think because we all operate in a kind of do more with less world now, um, you know, people just don't necessarily stay away from the workplace, but they they attend. But it gets harder and harder for people who are not um, comfortable in their work environment to actually be able to contribute at the level that's required. And therefore that kind of sets up this rather difficult cycle of you, you have to go, but you don't want to go when you get there. You, you just, you, you can't function in the way that you want to. So yeah. it's, it's, it's changed. Yeah. And so the costs are invisible now, I guess that's the difference. I was about to ask that actually. Yeah. So it seems, so you have these numbers associated, say, with stress and it's costing the economy, not just individual companies, but it's costing the economy in the billions. But actually, if someone is showing up to work, but they're not really performing at their best, they're not really that into it, for want of a better word. They're not performing to the level that the company needs, but maybe they don't even realise that the person's not performing because they're there and they're doing the work, but they're not, you know, interestingly. And I, I keep referring back to the statistic, but I, I did put a poll. It's not exactly scientific, but I, I put a poll on LinkedIn last year and I asked people, whether they were realizing their full potential at work. And 80% of people said no. It was more than 80%, actually. And I I just I was shocked by that statistic. And I kind of work in this area. And even I was shocked by that number. Um, I suppose coming back to the idea, like you're saying that the the reasons are they tend to be psychosocial. Um, and you said there's lots of reasons. And maybe there's too many to to name them all, but but can we talk about a few of the reasons that people might not be you know, they they might be showing up to work, but not necessarily fully engaged. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complex area. Put put simply, I mean, pressure is everywhere, isn't it? And so pre- people respond to pressure in completely different ways. So because we're in an environment where people need to do more with less, um, what happens when you put human beings under consistent pressure to to achieve more with less and less um, is that they eventually check out emotionally. And there's a kind of defense mechanism in that because we like to win. We are mission driven. You need a certain amount of success. You need to feel that you've made a contribution. You need to feel that you've achieved achieved something and what happens is if the bar keeps moving upwards it's as fast as you actually get to a point where you feel you've made that contribution it 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 moves on again and also because we are everyone is so busy um and and the pressure to perform and meet multiple demands is so intense that we actually we're all guilty of this we actually we've lost the time the bandwidth to be able to celebrate success, recognize each other, recognize the contribution already made. We're already on to the next thing. You know, success is almost taken as a non-event and it's really about, yeah, we, we know about that, but what's next? Mm. So so pressure is to some extent, um, you know, the the big factor in the background because it's it's universal and it's it comes from everywhere and people respond to that in different ways. And there is a sweet spot. People can tend to think pressure and stress are the same thing. They're completely different things. Pressure is an input um, and it's universal. It's everywhere. It comes from multiple sources. But stress is only one outcome. Um, the other one is growth, happiness, satisfaction, engagement, all the all the all the good stuff. A bit like Goldilocks porridge really. You know, there's a there's a perfect temperature. Um, and when that when when pressure is at a level that is within our coping strategy um, perhaps even a tiny bit beyond it, we get this kind of stretch zone thing going on, which is where growth happens. That's where you, our satisfaction is often at our highest, and we feel that we're, you know, we're, we're contributing and, and truly alive. You may even want to stand on the desk and sing the company song. You know, it's a good feeling. Um, but it, if your coping strategies don't develop at the same rate as the pressure, if one gets ahead of the other, which is actually the norm, because we, you know pressure keeps on increasing as we say that bar keeps moving forward then you get to a situation where stretch turns into strain and then that's that's kind of a different feeling altogether mm. so to answer your question there's there's pressure understand the difference between pressure and stress and recognizing and we can come back to this if we have time uh, i guess that you know there are there are many things that individuals can do to manage their own personal resources so that pressure hits them in a way that enables them to grow and learn from it you know anecdotally put a saddle and reins on it and it can take you somewhere as opposed to kind of trample over you and give you a broken leg so you know there is some there's there are definitely things that are within the the gift of the individual to be able to manage that interface and get the good outcomes and, and not the stress one um but there, but of course, we're all swimming in a pond. So that's if you if you see that as the fish, okay, there's lots of fish swimming around. Um, what's going on in the water that we're all swimming around in? So fish have obligations to look after themselves, perhaps, but we might also need to think about who's maintaining the the pond. And and it seems to us at the moment that one of the biggest things that people could attend to is is how psychologically safe people feel at work, because. You know, happiness at work is is often rooted in in feeling that it's like that you 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 are free and safe to be yourself. 
Um, you know, it's exhausting pretending to be someone else mm, every yeah, day. Yeah. Um, and actually, from a performance point of view, companies have much to gain by enabling people to feel that it's okay to be me, that I'm valued as me, that my opinion is worth something, and that I've, it's okay for me to to use a voice, um, and that people are genuinely interested in in my opinion, even if it's different to their own. And of course, the reality is that that isn't what happens in most cases. We don't, we need to take interpersonal risks with people every day. And and we assess it really, really quickly. If I say this, what will happen? You know, what what will people think about me if I say this? What will the next, what will the consequences be? And because of our you know, ancestry will we'll default to sense of threat always, um, looking for danger, you know. So if there's any doubt that this is not going to land well or people think I'm silly if I say this or I've got this really brilliant idea but I think people might think I'm a bit, what is he on? <laughs> Maybe I won't say. And and you think about that across a corporation, the, the cost of that in in itself in terms of, good ideas not expressed would be a reason on its own to think about whether how safe our people feel to be themselves and express themselves here um but there but of course it's creating a psychologically safe culture is not something you can do on a tuesday afternoon (laughs) you can start work on a tuesday afternoon you can decide as the leader we want one of these Mm -hmm. but we're all stakeholders in it and we all have to to yeah. do something to create one. So there's yeah. two things. It's like yeah. the, the external pressure, which is perhaps for an individual to think about how they how they respond to things. But there's also that kind of bigger picture of what's going on in yeah. the pond. So it's the kind of the individual and the environment. I, I, I'd love to take those three different aspects that I've picked up and kind of look at them in isolation and then maybe as a whole as well. But this idea of pressure as the input and stress or growth as the output. So those are kind of two separate things. And then talking about psychological safety, how do we get there? What's getting in the way of leaders or why would a leader decide that it's not a good thing to have? So um, maybe we start with this idea of pressure. And, and something that occurred to me is there's the pressure that's put on you, but there's also this pressure that we put on ourselves to perform or we have this certain persona that we've created or we have this perception of ourselves of, of what we should be able to do and, and and you know linking back to psychological safety if we feel like we can't do something and we're afraid to speak up and share that we can't necessarily achieve what we've agreed to achieve or agreed or achieve what's maybe expected of us that you know there's that fear associated with that as well so so can we talk more about the pressure and where does this pressure come from and this you know, trying to get more done in less time. And I've always been really interested in this concept of productivity. Um, Something I've become more aware of recently is the importance of saying no to things, even if you want to do them, because you simply don't have enough time to get everything done in a day. And, you know, for for me especially, and I I spoke at an event yesterday evening and everyone shared the same thing you have so many things on your to-do list and it's never ending. The more stuff you do, the more stuff you have to do. And it it just leads on and on and on. And there comes a point where you just have to start saying no and really prioritizing what is it that you really want. Um, And I know certainly before we started recording, the example that we were kind of talking about was this idea of wanting to spend time with your children or go to a match or something like that. That's not work related, but it maybe encroaches in, in work time. So 
let's have a, a chat about this, the idea of pressure. Where does this come from? Yeah. You know, the external, the internal pressures we put on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the external pressures are there environmentally, aren't they? If you have a job, people expect things from you. There's mm. roles to be fulfilled. There are responsibilities. There are relationships you need to manage. And there is this just sort of never-ending cycle of, you know, when you climb the, the mountain of work, there's another one <laughs> just <laughs> over there. Or you get to the top and say, oh, sorry, wrong mountain. <laughs> we yes. need to go on to this one now. So, you know, external work demand absolutely they're always there and you know our organizations are, are resourced in a very specific way now uh, which you know personally i think often trades on the goodwill of the staff you know the ability to find this extra capacity from somewhere which as we know is often stolen uh, in in practical terms from from recovery time you know time with friends family just not working and, and extending the working day is often the way that we respond to those demands, those external demands. But you're completely right um, that internal demands, uh, and we could talk for weeks about this, <laughs> um, are are almost as powerful, in fact, perhaps more so, because they're related to the external demands. So, you know, human beings are natural storytellers, as I'm sure if you know. You know, the way our brains make sense of the world is to take the stimulus and kind of categorise it into things you know about, things you don't know about, you know, distort things to make them fit patterns, delete things you don't think are relevant so that you can actually speed up the processing. So we do that by telling stories. You know, we, we, we something happens, go, ah, oh, I know about this. <laughs> something similar happened before. And that's a very efficient processing method. But the unfortunate thing is we get stuck in narratives. So we, you know, things happen and 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 we don't necessarily think about how we respond to it because our internal narrative tells us we need to do this or that it, where there may not be any evidence actually that we have to do this or we have to do that so as you as you rightly said you know if you experiment with okay stimulus response small gap <laughs> before i agree to this check the story what am i telling myself about the consequences of not doing this mm. and actually it, what people do is, I don't have time for that, which is true, which is why we tend to default to do what we always do, which is why we get what we always get, of course. But we're running constant internal stories that kind of keep us in the same place. And and part of the challenge of becoming more resilient, actually, is to, to recognise that you have internal narratives and, and just stop now and again and listen to them and say hang on though <laughs> is there a choice here could i do something different they're incredibly powerful for um keeping you in the same place and actually a lot of the time when you say where's the evidence for not being able to choose a different response you can't come up with it there's a feeling about it that it's oh it'll just be easier if i do it myself you know i've heard this so many times and, I, and we're all guilty even though we know the theory <laughs> still do it so I know that I'm actually extending my range of things I have to get on with into things that other people could help me with or in fact should perhaps have more responsibility for than, than I, but you'll still do it because it just feels quicker to do that. So the more under pressure you are, the more inclined you are to keep doing what you always do. And if you're a fixer, you'll just do it yourself. So those internal stories are like really, really, really important. And, and they... 
sometimes they work brilliantly for you. You know, some internal stories that are, are built around, I can do this. Yes, mm. I can be brave. I can, you know, I, I yeah, I've got this. Um, yeah, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to feel the fear and do it anyway. Some of those stories are really helpful, but not all of them. And, mm. and so there's something around checking in with yourself on a regular basis to see what you're telling yourself about this, because that's why the work pressure is going to accumulate, because mm. you'll tell yourself that it's not possible for me to go to the gym or it's not possible for me to pick mm. my son up. I have to go to this meeting. I have to do this by Tuesday morning at four o'clock. I have to, I have to, I have to. And when you ask people to challenge what's really behind the have to, it's like, I don't know, I just know that I do. <laughs> and therein is the possibility, if you just unpack that a little bit, to say, well, actually, there, there will be other choices. Um, and and that is, I think, what brings our personal conflict you know, we, we were talking before we, about people having a conflict between their personal purpose and their professional responsibilities. We, you know, we recruit for high levels of engagement. So we know people are highly engaged, which potentially sets up a conflict between what they want for themselves personally and what they want to achieve for and within their company um, for themselves, partly because they want to you know, we want to contribute, we want to be well thought of by our colleagues, we want to be collegiate, we don't let them down. So there's this constant conflict between trying to meet the company objective whilst also meeting your own objectives as yeah. a, a wife, parent, mother, all those other things. Yeah. And the target that you've set yourself to be marvellous. Yeah, well, this <laughs> or, is or brilliant. Thing, you know, and so there's this maybe, uh, pressure is maybe the wrong word, but we want to develop in a certain way and we're, for want of a better word, using the organisation as a stepping stone in our career, as part of our career story, because we want to achieve certain things. And if those things don't align or if the organisation is not helping us to realise those career goals that we have for ourselves, then that takes away or that causes a little bit of conflict, maybe. Um, the the other thing that occurred to me while you were talking, Leslie, was this idea that um, so we're, we're kind of saying about the the pressures that we put on ourselves. How do people recognize that? And, and something that occurred to me is if you're in the situation and you're saying yes to things, but then you're going off and having a separate conversation with your colleagues saying, oh, I can't believe how much work I have to do, or I can't believe how much work my boss is giving me, or um, I, I just have so much. I can't exactly like verbalizing those stories. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to prepare meals, healthy meals, whatever it might be that's going on for you. And is it just a case of stopping and recognizing that either you're telling that to yourself or you're telling that to to your colleagues or you're you're complaining about your boss or you're complaining about the leadership because there's so much pressure, there's so much work that's coming in that you don't have time to, to get everything done? Yeah, I, th I think you're quite right. I think if you, you can, it is about checking in with yourself because sometimes, you know, head down, steaming on, the, we're the last persons to notice that we're out of the stretch zone and in the strain zone and, and, and potentially heading for, for burnout. So there's a kind of performance curve, if you like, it's like, like a bell curve. And at the peak of it, where pressure and coping are in a kind of sweet balance, then you have this, you know, this sweet spot of, of stretch. But once you start coming out of stretch into strain and overwhelm, you actually lose your ability to be quite as connected to yourself because you're, you're, getting into that zone where you've stopped noticing it's just it's just head down default option plow on mm. um and, it, and it's often the case that, that wives partners 
you know, people, other people in your life start to notice that you're permanently distracted, um, what we would call continuously partially present. You're there, mm-hmm. but you're not there. Yeah. Um, and it, and what you, and you know, let's be honest, let's be vulnerable here. We've all been there. It's one of the reasons why I find the topic still so interesting because, it, you know, life is very pressurized and we do all respond in different ways. And it is lifelong learning and, and catching yourself, hearing yourself. Yeah. This is the third time in the last two hours I said, I haven't got time for that. I haven't got yeah. time for that. It's a story. It's a narrative. So so sometimes you're quite right. If you can just listen in for yourself yeah. and hear yourself having these conversations or just be aware that having these conversations with people means something mm. you know the need to offload it, it's it's great to share it's great to have you know social contact and support but what's the quality of the stories that you're telling when you're telling people about that it is if you can listen to them and tap into them it's telling you something about your story yeah 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 um and 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 that there may be some kinks in that um, be, uh, that you could unravel for yourself and yeah. actually, you know, tell a slightly different story. The old adage, you know, change your story, change your life. Is, yeah. That's what that's about. Is that yeah. If you keep in a groove, you tend to stay in that groove and, and the negativity and the toxicity of it can yeah. can overwhelm in the end. In the end, you can't see a, you can't see a way out and that's yeah. when burnout becomes a real possibility. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I love the idea that we have a choice and realising that we have a choice and telling yourself that you don't have a choice is actually, you know, challenging, challenging yourself on that. I always like to say that we have a choice. And and even if you're in a job that you really you're really miserable, you have a, you know, and talking, I suppose, from a place of privilege here, maybe not everyone necessarily has the choice. But if you reframe your thinking to say, I'm choosing to do this because I need to support my family, I'm choosing to do this because I'm saving money towards uh, doing a qualification that will take me to a a better place, whatever it might be. I always like to reframe things to think that even if you just reframe your thinking to to say I have this choice. And I'd love to to move on to talk more about this idea of the stress versus the growth aspect. And, you know, in relation to the the pressure that we put on ourselves and how we cope with these situations, I I like to think of myself as um, I I do thrive under pressure, but maybe it's a case of recognizing when when does that pressure become too much and when do I need to speak up and when do I need to ask for help, which I think is very difficult for a lot of people, myself included. So maybe let's let's talk about that, that that there's kind of finding that sweet spot or how to recognize a sweet spot between you're in this um, uh, the, the what was it, the strain versus the Overwhelm. Well, stretch, strain and overwhelm. The stretch versus the strain. And I certainly have been in situations and I think a lot of people can relate to this of being totally and utterly overwhelmed. You feel like you have so much to do. You're not sure where to start. You can't see the wood for the trees. And it's really difficult because I think some of the, the tips around that are like focus on one thing. And it's really hard to focus on just one thing when you have so many, so many things to, to think about. Um, getting it down on paper, things like that. But for people who are who kind of thrive under pressure, what becomes the tipping point or how do we recognize in ourselves when that pressure becomes just a little bit too much? Mm. Well, we kind of said it already, really, that it's the um, it's a creeping irritability, I Mm. think, is the thing that it's noticeable to other people. And if 
<laughs> and if you're honest, you can kind of see it in yourself. Like yeah. everyone is an aggravation. Everything is a problem. You know, <laughs> and this is the lovely, th- the, the good and the bad thing about cognitive landscape because it's the same comment from a client when you're feeling, when you're in stretch. It's fine. It's energizing. It's lovely. It's it's great that they're asking us this. That means they trust us. They value our opinion. They, you know, you, all those wonderful things. If your landscape is in, you've tipped into strain, it's it's an inconvenience. I don't. I don't. Why? Why do they think that our time is completely available to them the whole time? Yeah. It's the same comment, yeah. but it lands in two completely different ways, and they're yeah. not to know that, by the way. Which is yeah. when we come to psychological safety, that's like really worth knowing because yeah. intention and impact is quite hard to second guess because everybody is different and everybody is in a different place when that when that lands. Mm. So I think watching your kind of watching, you know, the, the negativity and the, you know, how am I feeling? Just, you know, checking in with yourself on a fairly regular basis can help you think, do you know what? Everything looks negative. So that probably means I'm, you know, I'm out of stretch now because because it, it all feels very, very different. Um, in terms of like, what do you do about that? And how do you set yourself up to, to stay in stretch, which is probably worth talking about, because in the end, we, we always want to know, like, what can we do about it? Because pressure can, um, as we've said, you know, creep up on you in a way that if, you, if you're so busy and so default into your normal way of doing it, you can't actually be the first person and often the last person to notice that it's it's affecting you is how do you set yourself up so that you can get the better responses more often you know and, and get growth from it rather than, than stress and I, I think that that is something around recognizing that if you are we talk a lot with our clients around energy you know physical energy which is the kind of foundation of everything so that's thinking about what you eat and um you know obviously the quality of your sleep is sometimes outside of your control if you've got small children but you know sleep hygiene and just recognizing that some of our behaviors later on in the evening may actually undermine our ability to sleep these are things we have control over you know um you don't have to drink half a bottle of wine before you go to bed it's rather nice <laughs> perhaps if you like to relax at the time but it doesn't help you fall asleep beautifully well but two hours later ping you'll be awake until four or five in the morning so you know they they, these are things that we have control over so there are certain basic physical your body has basic physical health needs that we need to attend to and and actually the busier we get um the less inclined we are to find to feel we have the time to, to do exercise, to take the dog out, even if it's a small thing. We don't, not everyone looks good in Lycra, you know, you don't have to be in the gym for hours. But building physical activity into your day every day in some form or other, even if it's taking the stairs or, you know, going out for a 10, 15 minute walk at least once during the day is, is has an enormous, enormously beneficial effect on your ability to stay. And particularly if you think about, we call it strategic nutrition. You know, we love Mars bars and muffins and all those great things full of sugar, but they do terrible things to your blood sugar, which does terrible things to your emotions. Mm. So if you haven't, if you sat on your chair for six hours and all the blood is pulled in the lower part of your body and you haven't had a posture break and you haven't moved really any of the major muscle groups in your body, it's your physical body, by the way, that's holding your brain up (laughs) that is helping you to do all these, to meet all these demands. So thinking about 
seeing your phys- your your body's physical needs as a and, and paying attention to them as a con- contribution to to staying in good shape for demands is a really important reframe. As you mm. were talking about reframing, you know, not not so oh, I'll get round to exercising when I'm caught up, you know, mm. when I finish my inbox. So actually yeah. you're more likely to be able to tackle the contents of your inbox if you're meeting your body's basic physical needs around movement, nutrition, yeah. hydration and and um sleep. Yeah. Um so that's that's something to consider. And these things are within our control. They are choices. But we, you know, we have narratives that tell us we can't take them. Hence yeah. the, 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 you know, the impact of, of na- narratives that don't help you. Yeah. But for me, the the big one is that what's sitting on top of that is the kind of emotional energy piece. So much yeah. of our emotion is negative, and we're far more likely to fall into a kind of negativity mode when we haven't eaten anything all day, or we've, you know, we've eaten something that was full of sugar and then. 60 minutes later it falls out of your you know your bloodstream and suddenly you just feel either psychotic or depressed or mm. anxious or whatever you know our emotional stability is, is very closely linked to, to blood sugar so maintaining the right sort of nutrition during the day eating little and often and staying off sugary stuff you know these are these are really practical things that people can do for themselves mm. when you have your emotional energy under control then you can focus <laughs> you can choose which is why this is a long, a long way into a simple answer. You can choose your cognitive response to things, and you can choose what you focus on when you've got your emotions under control. It's almost impossible to do that. To your point, if you if you're emotionally triggered in any way, and it, if you're triggered, it'll invariably throw you in the negative side of emotions rather than the positive ones obviously um and so that's why it's really important to attend to the basics and these things again are are absolutely within our grasp as individuals but there you do kind of also need permission from your company to prioritize these things and that you know i'm not i'm not going to go to this meeting because i have been in six back-to-back meetings today i'll be physically present but emotionally and mentally simply not there so i'm not coming Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and, and that your boss or your colleagues say, Good for you, go yeah, and recover. Yeah. Come back when you can contribute something. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a mindset change. And and we'll get on to that in a second, but I just kind of wanted to to wrap up what we were talking about here and in you know, vulnerable share here, but in early twenty twenty two I talked about well being at work and how important it was. I had COVID at the tail end of twenty twenty one and I was sort of recovering at the early part of twenty twenty two. But still, you know, later in 2022, I neglected my health and I didn't make it a priority. And I think really it's about prioritizing those things and thinking about the finite time that we have every day. And so the start of 2023, I'm doing the there's a Twitter challenge called the hashtag 100 days of walking. And so I'm in making sure to get out for a walk, 30 minute walk, at least 30 minute walk every day. Um, I'm doing the yoga challenge with Adrian every day as well. And then just from a switching off perspective in the evening, I'm working remotely in Tenerife at the moment, which is incredible. But you don't necessarily get these opportunities in in Dublin, in Ireland in general. Um, But to go down to watch the sunset every evening at at half Mm. past six and just take that time out and just kind of refresh and, and relax and 
And even thinking at the the back end of 2022, where I felt guilty if I was working and felt guilty if I wasn't working when I was in Tenerife and there is so much, so many wonderful things to enjoy. But it's about yeah. bringing, bringing that back and, and knowing what is important to prioritise. And, um, you know, we always learned the Maslow hierarchy of needs. We're not supposed to talk about that. And it's, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a pyramid at all. But if you if you're thinking about the prioritisation of what you need on a day to day basis, I think it comes back exactly to what you said, Leslie, it's prioritizing the physical side of things. So that, you know, physical movement, nutrition, sleep, not having too much sugar, which therefore helps you, you know, emotionally regulate and not get yeah. triggered by specific things. And and we, we talked about kind of triggering things on, on one of the previous podcast episodes with Ashley Collins, which was super interesting. But I think taking a, the holistic view of saying, if we don't actually if we if we treat ourselves um, physically well, then we are less likely to get triggered by whatever yeah. is coming up in in our yeah, work absolutely. in our emotional journey. Um, so I love that. The, and again, this idea of choice, being able to choose that cognitive response that we're having. Um, but coming back to this idea now of the the kind of wider environment that we find ourselves in, and creating that that space where it's okay to say. Listen, I've actually been in six, six, six back to back meetings today, so I'm going to skip this one out because I really won't have anything to contribute. I'm not I'm just not feeling it right now. But how how do we get there? And I suppose what prevents leaders from creating that type of environment? Yeah, great question. I think I mean, it's changing now. Thank goodness. Um, mm. We've been talking about this for several years. And, you know, at, at the beginning, it was as somebody said a bit like pushing water uphill with a fork you know it's like <laughs> it's so obvious to us but then you know we are steeped in this and it's it's what we spent our life talking about and thinking about but what's changing is that companies are and, and leaders individual leaders and sometimes you know whole organizational boards are understanding really understanding the relationships and the dynamics between well-being and performance you know what what creates good well-being creates the conditions for people to perform at their best in a sustainable way which of course is what everybody wants because we need more from our employees without killing them or making them sick so you know that is a kind of it's an interesting conversation that they want to have and how do we create things and create the environment where people can be at their 10 their perfect 10 every day um but then you know be able to fulfill their own purpose as well as help us meet ours, you know, and, and hopefully those two purposes kind of align. So it is a cultural thing around helping uh, leaders in particular, I think, have to kind of lead from the front with this one to create an environment where people, the whole team understands why this stuff matters. I know it mm. sounds very simple to say it, you know, well-being as a concept has been around for so long, but do people really understand why it makes such a difference? When people perform well, why are they performing well? What are they bringing in to the workplace? When And what are the conditions necessary for them to be able to bring all those, bring their full self to work? And of course, the answer is that they have to feel safe to be themselves. If they feel they have to have different persona and a work mask, then you're just as when you you know, place a ceramic mask on, on the front of a human. You can still see the human, but, but, the, but the person has changed. You know, you're not you're not getting to see the the, the full person, and and 
you know, we say a lot when you employ someone, the whole person comes, not just the bit that does the job. But but sometimes we don't bring all of it. We we, we leave a little bit of it back, and it, and it's it's that full person presence, that ability to really access all of those brains in an open and trusting environment that can actually you know release so much, not just discretionary effort. I mean. There's not a lot of discretionary effort left, to be honest, in my opinion. I think most people are leaving it all out on the pitch anyway. Mm. But it's that ability to feed into the conversation, into the collaboration, an idea or a thought or an insight that could just be massively catalytic. But if it was not uh, shared, that's a loss to the organisation. You don't don't know you've lost it, of course, Mm. (laughs) but you have lost it. So... um, I think there is a lot to be said for, for for working with leadership to really help and individuals as well to understand what makes you stellar when you're stellar, if you're honest, you know, develop self-awareness as well. What what are the conditions needed for people to be fully themselves and to be to be fully present and and you know, for us to, to get the best out of ourselves and each other every day. It's all the things we already know about, but about a sense of belonging, a sense of being valued, a sense of being able to be yourself um, without fear of negative consequences, um, working in the environment where it's okay to make a mistake because mm-hmm. it's genuinely understood by everyone in the team, not tolerated, by the way, different, you know, candor is is expected. Uh, Amy Edmondson, I'm probably familiar with her work mm-hmm. from Harvard, has done so much work in this area, and she says, you know, candor is expected. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great phrase. Like, yeah. I w- want you to tell me the truth. I want you to tell me something different to what I think, because otherwise I'm just hearing what I think. And that's, you know, as a leader, I want to hear an opposite view. I want to hear someone have a different perspective because that enables me to challenge my own perspective and say actually am i looking at this the right way are we you know we're three of us are seeing it like this but one of us is seeing it like that that's really interesting that casts some some light that we can use but it doesn't happen overnight because people have to trust each other yeah because we're all very risk averse uh, for all sorts of good reasons um you know we, we have a bias for threat and if we feel in any way that we're vulnerable or, you know, by doing or saying or contributing in this way, I'm taking a pers- an interpersonal risk that could have negative consequences for me, we will default to, I'll wait and see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. won't say. Yeah. Which is fine. It may come out eventually, but we're in a do more with less environment, so we need it now. Mm. And, of course, the benefit of being able to be that open and that honest is happiness because mm-hmm. it's exhausting. Thinking one thing but saying something else, yeah. or mm, smiling and waving. Absolutely, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I quite agree with that. It's 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 wonderful to be in a collaboration where with your leader or your other team members, where you can just really get in there and, and get it talked about. And I think that's that's the root. And we're talking about happiness at work. That's the root of happiness and and you know sustainable well being when people feel able to contribute like that because then when they're struggling it's easy to say do you know what i can't do this today <laughs> mm. i need uh, you know i need to i'm done yeah. you know and everyone goes yeah get it understand yeah. that yeah, yeah. go come back yeah very different to the environment that most of us have, have grown up in and many of us are still working in it's all a little bit less certain that it's safe to do that mm. 
I'd, I'd, I'd love to come back to this idea that it, it kind of seems like a very first step, but it's to educate people, just the, the general kind of working population, why well-being is important. And I feel like that step has nearly been missed where when I was still working in corporate, we had a well-being week once a year and that was kind of it. Now, I think things have moved on a little bit now. So that would have been a, probably about six years ago. Things have moved on a little bit now and I see lots of really great initiatives. But I also wonder, do they, is it a box ticking still or do they educate people on why the well-being side of things is important? I personally always made time during well-being week to attend the various talks that we had on. Um, but if people knew the importance of looking after themselves first in order to perform at their best, and I love this second point of what makes you stellar and what makes you perform your best. And, and when you can perform your best, you feel really, really great as well. So it's it's kind of taken that step back and looking at it from the perspective of the individual and saying, do you know why it's important to be mm. well so that you can perform well at work? Yeah. And that's where, where we started is understanding the pennies dropping about the relationship between well-being and performance. Mm. Well-being is not a still in many cases, unfortunately, a commodity solution. You know, yeah. we're going to drive you really hard. You know, she's probably, you know, can't tell it any other way than it is. We're going to drive you really hard. We have fractionally fewer people here than we actually need. We know that as a leadership team, but we've got to keep the profits high, so we keep the overheads low. Yeah. And we are going to trade on the goodwill of the staff, knowing that they will go the extra mile. They'll mm. they'll find the time. And that's how we can have, you know, nobody actually says this, by the way, but yeah. we all but this is the model that we're working in. We have mm. there is too much work to do. And yeah. it's just statistics okay. will tell yeah. you that. Yeah. And people are navigating this currently by extending the working day and eating into recovery time that is really, really important um, for them to maintain themselves at the level they need to be mm. to perform. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, understanding that well-being cannot be offered. I mean, as you say, you know, a wellness sabbatical, it's like, what is that about? That's mm. like that's like saying, this is okay, but we're going to give you a week where you can pay a little bit more attention to, you know, taking your dog out and going for a run or something like that. It's it's not a commodity mm. solution. It has to be integrated into the way that you work. And that is only achievable if people genuinely understand where does performance come from? Mm. Where does the brainwave come from? Where does the engagement come from? It comes from people being physically having, you know, enough ticks in the boxes physically to keep themselves emotionally able to engage in a stable way and then being able to make the right choices in relation to how they use themselves. Because to your earlier point, and, and we say this quite a lot, if you're any good, and anyone who's in, in a job these days is pretty good because you wouldn't be in a job if you weren't contributing because there's, there's just no company where you can work and not contribute, demand will always exceed supply. If you're any good, people will want more of what you have than you have time and energy to respond. And what we tend to do is just go to the loudest voice or try and go faster or expend the working day. But re the reality is we have to choose what do you give your attention to and then what is the quality of the attention that you're given. And that's where the last piece of the energy pyramid is really important is like purpose. What is the purpose of me? within this organization or what is the purpose of the team that I work on so that we've got a fighting chance of being able to choose 
which tasks are urgent and important, <laughs> but also to, to know that there are tasks that are important but not urgent, so maybe we can negotiate about those, but also tasks that are not particularly important but they're, but they're easy to do and they, they're energising mm. so that we can start to separate this blob of demand and segregate it into different things that we can use strategically or attend to strategically. But the point is, back to what you said, about choice, recognising that there's too much of it. So just going faster or working 24 hours a day is just not going to be possible. Mm. So at some stage or other, you have to prioritise. And knowing as a team or an individual what your goal is, either personally or professionally or both, helps people to make the right decisions in relation to what they give their time and attention to. And then also the quality of the attention that they're giving because this, and this is back to what we said before, because we're not having that conversation with ourselves very often, we're continually partially present on 10 things at once. Mm. And so when you're, when you're told to focus, it's like, yeah, I get that, but how? <laughs> yeah. I've got I'm... 10 people telling me, yeah. do it now. Mm. It's urgent and important. Mm. So the individual needs to be able to, to make that choice for themselves relative to what's important, where, what they think their personal goal is or what their professional goal is. But it's impossible to do that if you're emotionally triggered. So we're back to, you know, well-being, seeing, understanding our mantra, always the thing that excites us the most is when you do workshops or training with, with groups of people and they get it, they suddenly see that, oh, I'm kind of multi-layered and there are things I can do in each one of these layers. They're not big, they're not complicated. I don't have to kind of, you know, become a different person, but there are very specific things that I can do in each of these categories, which all build on each other, mm. that will help me improve my well-being. And when I've got that, I can perform at the highest level indefinitely mm. without fear of burnout. You know, that's that's quite a sort of engaging proposition yeah, yeah, for individuals. I'm, and talk I'm, to a leader about creating that in their team, creating that level of awareness and, and team join up to supporting each other in these activities. Mm. Suddenly you can see the pound signs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, yeah we, there is a way to do more with less without damaging people in the process and that's the joy of energy management as it's generally it's, it's not about competency everyone's competent in their job it's about helping the competent people create the capacity to contribute in a sustainable way whilst not damaging their well-being mm. sounds like nirvana <laughs> it does. It does. And Shame we can't know, put it in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. We didn't kind of, and I didn't think that we would get here. But but burnout is the obvious kind of outcome of that. And I have touched on that topic in the past on the on the podcast um, episode with Lindsay Recknell. Um, but that is the kind of the obvious outcome of that sustained not looking after yourself, overworking, working all the additional hours because the the companies are deliberately under resourced essentially um but, but yeah i just wanted to kind of acknowledge that and uh, leslie the question i ask everyone who comes on the podcast what does being happier at work mean to you it means being feeling safe to be yourself without a question uh, for me because there are so many benefits in for the organization and for being self-actualized if we're talking about mm. the top of the triangle yeah um, in feeling you've made a contribution, feeling that you're 
opinion is personally valid, that you can that you have an opinion, you feel safe to share it, and that people give you positive feedback about that. Or if they don't agree with it, they tell you why they don't agree with it. And you can have an open and adult conversation rather than sitting in fear that, you know, I'm not I'm not speaking up, I'm not making a contribution. If I I'm a bit sort of, you know, Hobson's choice. If I do if I don't say anything, I feel like I'm being judged for not making a contribution. If I do make a contribution, I fear it's going to be considered to be stupid so, mm. or or there'll be negative consequences of sharing it because actually I don't agree with you guys. I think we're all going down the wrong path. I think it'll be a disaster and a waste of resources. But do you know what? I don't feel safe enough to tell you that. So I'm not yeah. going to say anything. Yeah. You know, talk about rock hard play. So ultimately it all comes down to to being feeling safe to be yourself because mm. then it's easy to manage your well-being you can say do you know what i'm done i just mm. you know I'm, I'm a very engaged and willing person but my brain is fried yeah. i just i need to go and watch my son play rugby yeah you know and i'll, yeah, yeah. I'll be back tomorrow and not feel judged mm. you know it all comes back to this safety feeling yeah. psychologically safe at work yeah Brilliant. And if people want to reach out, if they want to connect and find out more about what you do, what's the best place or what's the best way they can do that? Oh, well, um, we have a website, www.workingwell.co.uk, which has got all the links to all the things that we, we do on it. Um, we're writing a book at the moment, actually. <laughs> well, this has been going on for quite some time, but because work gets in the way of actually writing things mm. down. So um, we hope we have a book, a new book coming out called Brave. Um, how to create a psychologically safe workspace um, coming out at the end of the year. So we'll keep a lookout for that. And if on the website, there is the usual contact. I mean, hopefully there's stuff on there that we find interesting anyway. But if you did need to reach out to us, it's just team at workingworld.co.uk. Brilliant. One of us will be there. That's great. Thanks so much, Leslie. Really, really appreciate your time today. And I think really interesting and practical things that that people can do on an individual level as well as a more of a kind of organizational level as well to address these issues and in relation to well-being at work so thank you so much for sharing your insights today that was leslie cooper i hope you enjoyed today's episode i absolutely loved having that conversation so much to unpack i wanted to illustrate some of the key points that i took away from our conversation but before i do that i wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation yourselves i'd love to know what you thought of today's episode head on over to happieratwork.ie the website and all of my social links are there if you see me posting about this on social media i would uh, appreciate if you could let me know what you thought of the episode if if you have any anything to share what's going on for you what resonated particularly or if there's anything especially if you would do differently as a result of listening to today's episode so the first thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of toxicity at work and what makes people stay away from work. Leslie covered all of the psychosocial type of reasons that there's lots and lots of reasons. But I think the key point I took from that is that businesses don't necessarily focus on how much it's costing them. Uh, how much does it cost businesses when people are physically present, but they're maybe not performing at their best and, and the importance of creating well-being at work? We talked about the fact that there's so much pressure at work these days. There's a lot of pressure to do more with less, uh, to achieve more without necessarily having more resources to be able to do that. We are so busy all of the time. And I, I know from running my own business, I can absolutely attest to that fact as well. 
we talked about the idea of masking. I don't know, did we necessarily use that exact phrasing, but it's about pretending to be someone else, but bringing back a sense of psychological safety into organizations so people know that it's okay to be themselves, it's okay to be authentic. And when we create as a psychologically safe environment, people feel free to challenge the status quo. They feel free to share their ideas. I have talked about psychological safety multiple times on the podcast previously. If you haven't listened to those episodes, definitely go back and listen to those. But one thing it's really hard to put a cost on is if there's not a psychologically safe environment, how much does that cost the business for unshared ideas? So for the, the times when people haven't spoken up and haven't challenged the status quo. We talked also about the uh, the internal versus the external work demands. So things like organizations being resourced in a specific way and the fact that there's often not enough resources to carry out your job and therefore the working day extends into family time. Uh, then and the, from the internal perspective, it's meaning making the stories and giving meaning to things that maybe isn't necessarily there. We get stuck in these narratives. So thinking about what am I telling myself about the consequences of not doing this? Is there actually a choice here? Where's the evidence to not being able to choose a different response? So really questioning our thought processes and the decisions that we make at work as well. I particularly like this idea of the pressure versus stress versus growth. So pressure uh, is the input. So that's coming from an external source that we mentioned. So that could be uh, external work demands or internal pressure that we're putting on ourselves versus stress. So if stress uh, could be considered a bad output versus growth. So is there an opportunity from this pressure to actually grow as a result? And again, taking this idea of the stretch to strain. So when things can become too much of a stress and they, they become strenuous, they, they cause strain to us as well. So I just love that terminology and way of delineating between the positive pressures at work and, and the challenges that we have that facilitate growth versus the ones that that cause stress and eventually lead to burnout. So if there's one thing that you do today, maybe it's checking in with yourself and see if you're in that zone where you're stretch or in that zone where you're feeling a little bit of strain. And again, I love this phrase that Leslie used, creeping irritability. So that's when everyone is in aggravation, where normally they're doing something quite innocent. And I know certainly I can relate to this. I'm sure everyone who's listening today can relate to this concept that everyone just becomes a little bit of an annoyance. We talked also about the about energy as the foundation of everything. So that's making sure that you are eating well, that you're getting enough sleep, that you've met your basic physical health needs, because this in turn has a knock-on impact on our emotional stability. And when we're more emotionally stable, we get to choose the cognitive response to things rather than being triggered by things and having a negative response. We talked about, well, why does this stuff actually matter? Why does it matter that we create an environment of well-being? Why does it matter if we create a psychologically safe environment in which to perform well? And the biggest difference really is the discretionary effort that people put into work. It's the ideas that they bring, the thoughts that they have and the insights that they can share. Again, I loved this insight that Leslie shared in relation to 
a question to pose. What makes you stellar? What are the conditions? Really thinking about what that means for you as an individual. And some of the things that we talked about was sense of belonging, feeling valued as an employee and knowing that it's okay to make a mistake. And a reminder to you that creating a psychologically safe environment doesn't happen overnight. You have to take time to build trust with each other. Finally, then we we touch on this idea of productivity, but maybe not productivity in the usual sense. We talked about how there is so much work to do and where does this actually come from? So where is, you know, and how do we get people to engage with what it is that we're doing? How do they emotionally engage? The fact that demand will always exceed supply. So there will always, always be more to do than the time that we have to do it. So we need to choose what we give our energy to. And this comes back to knowing what the purpose is. So what is my purpose? What is the team purpose? And that will help us to choose which tasks we do. And sometimes there's too much choice. And when there's too much choice, that that can become debilitating as well. So again, how do we prioritize exactly what needs to be done? This comes back to going back to the goal. What is the goal of what it is that we're trying to achieve? And for me, this should really link with the overall organizational goal as that trickles down to department level, to team level and to individuals as well. And the final thought I'll leave you with from today's episode is that the individual needs to be able to make that choice for themselves, but they need to be given the tools in order to make an effective decision as to what they should be working on. That is all from me today. As always, would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Do join in the conversation on social media and I'd love to hear from you. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie. 